Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. All right, new edition of the Winning Plays Podcast is back. My name is Brian Robb, joined today by Ryan Bernardoni at Danger Kern on Twitter for the show. And Ryan, I have a very important question to open up here. Um, is this, is it possible to call a six game road trip successful after two and a half games? Yeah, is, apparently. Right. <laughs> like, was, has this happened before? I, I guess so. <laughs> um, I, you looked at this road trip going in and we're like, okay, there's, you know, six teams all like 500 or better. Um, I don't know where the Lakers are now. Um, and they're not now, right? They were close when I guess when it started, they were, um, or yeah, a few days ago, I said they were closer. Um, two back to backs by coastal, bunch of guys who are already sort of questionable and now in the lineup, you know, you're going to miss Al for at least a couple of the games because of the back to backs. Um, and I, you know, I had said, after the the last game before they left, I was like, if they go three and three on the trip, like that's I'm not going to complain about that. Like I hope they go four and two, but three and three I thought would have been like completely reasonable. Uh, and it was sort of like, yeah, you know, three and three after how how well they played to this point it would feel like oh it was a disappointment and all that. But I was like, this is like a really very difficult road trip. And like you said, two and a half games in, you're like, well, there's the three. <laughs> um, so um, obviously, if they were to go three and three now, it would feel a lot different than. Than if you had offered me three and three before the, the trip, which I would there is, there is, I would have thought there is zero percent chance of that happening though. By the way, now I feel like we've, I think you can we can safely say, like there is no if this team loses, I think three game losing streak for this team this year when they're like motivated would be a surprise at this point. Yeah, Even, barring health things, right? right? Buying I mean, exactly if, buying motivation if and safety protocols and right. and non COVID illnesses are actually all the beginning of a, yet another annual collapse into COVID hell for the league, then. Uh, that obviously doesn't really count. Um, right. But yeah, when when they have their guys. I So I would say that maybe it's these three games now that have established them in a tier of their own at the top of the league. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I think there's yeah. probably like a, I don't know, maybe a four-team tier behind them. And before it was a question like, are they separated from the Bucks? And I know record-wise, they're not like hugely far ahead of the Bucks, but they have a much better point differential now. Yeah. Um, and I would say that having... I know they've lost twice to the Cavs, both you know, both times in, in overtime, but it would sort of be the Bucks and the Cavs and the Suns and the Pelicans, who they have handled rather easily, um, would be maybe in the group behind them in terms of just what they've done this year. If you were talking about like, you know, finals contenders, you the Warriors would be better than their record and stuff like that, obviously. But um in terms of what we've seen so far, like I do think that you can now say that the Celtics are in a tier by themselves at the top of the league. Uh, you know, 
because they just went west and beat the team that at the point at that point had the best record in the west and led by 45 so that's a pretty big statement yeah i'm i'm willing to like i don't think you can i mean certainly based on what's happened so far this season they're on a separate tier i put kind of middleton just getting back for the bucks and them having been there before and probably maybe going through the motions a little bit more um than you know the celtics obviously this year um but on paper, from a depth standpoint, from a bench standpoint, um, for this 82 game grind, it's like, I think it, you, you have to say the Celtics are going to be are a, a strong favorite to get the one seed at this point, assuming health and assuming, um, you know, no other major deals to strike up what Milwaukee has right now in terms of the rest of their bench. But yeah, I think that, that's a safe assessment. And, and to be honest, Ryan, it's kind of jarring just to see of like, okay, you have the Celtics, you have the Bucks, I'm a, and I'm looking at it, and it's still very early. And there's going to be, I think, there is going to be a lot of movement, um, trade activity wise, not necessarily the Celtics, but just other teams around the league in the next couple of months here as things ramp up. But like, is it, it? It almost feels like that the two toughest series the Celtics would likely face in uh, a run of the NBA Finals may very well come in the Eastern Conference, like just based on how things are shaking out at this what's the, point. What's the second series? I, ideally, the two teams that you, you know, the teams in second and third play each other. Uh, That's true, right? I mean, right now the fourth seed is Brooklyn, which is weird because there's all these teams that basically have the same record. Like, yeah. technically, the, technically the Nets, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. And they've been playing better. So I could not... see it be like Toronto, maybe. Like, Toronto makes Toronto's a trade pretty, and they could yeah. be, like, yeah. I feel like that they could theoretically be a team that, like... Like, there's is... a whole bunch of teams in the four. But, I mean, I guess my point is, like, it's possible that we get to the end of the year and think that the two most difficult matchups for them are in the East, but that they have to play each other along the way. Like that's why you right. want to be the one seed, right? Um, let the two of them knock each other around. And I assume Milwaukee would come out of that just on all of the things, right? Experience and all that, but uh, who's to say? Um, and I do think that in the Milwaukee thing, you know, you said now that, that Middleton's coming back, there's some amount, like we actually have to see what he looks like when he comes back, right? He's been out yeah. for eight months and he's 30, you know, on 31 years old. Like it's, there's no guarantee that the Chris Middleton that they're going to get going forward is the Chris Middleton of the past. Um, and so we'll have to kind of see how that, that all plays out. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if they've been like had their foot off the gas here. They they're winning games for sure. They, they haven't been blowing teams out like the Celtics have more recently again. Um, but yeah, I'm talking more about like regular season right now. If you were to just, if the playoffs were to start today and nobody knew it was, I don't know, some magical thing, like you would put the Celtics in a tier on their own, I think. Yes. Um, based on things like like point differential and the fact that they have the best offense by three points per 100 possessions and and all that kind of stuff. And sure, when we get to the playoffs and it's Giannis against Tatum again, like it's scary and they could absolutely lose that series. Nobody's doubting that. But um, it's just been such a pleasant, like a pleasantly surprising first quarter of the season to me, because even though I picked them to win the title, I didn't think they were going to be this good until christmas right like i thought that it would be a second half surge like last year because with rob out and a new coach and some guys that you have to integrate and all that and just to come out and just be like ah no we're gonna take like a week to figure it all out and then just kill everybody um is just not what i expected to have happen here and and so to see that it just every night it's like a joy to watch them play and and do stuff and the way they play is really fun you know this isn't like grinding it out by any means they go out they score a million points they go on some 24 to 2 run in the middle of the game everybody scores 30 everybody's happy and dancing at the end and you go to bed like it's great 
It's there. There are very few seasons that can compare to you know the two thousand seven two thousand eight Celtics, um, in terms of the what they what that team did in the regular season. Um, but I think I mean it's safe to say now. I think we can. This is enough of a sample size to be like, no, this this team will probably be in that conversation, um, as far as you know what they what they are doing to teams right now. And I also want to thank thank the Celtics too for for Wednesday night, right? I don't know if you. As, as a writer in the NBA playoffs um, last season, we you don't get to watch a lot of the Western Conference games live, you know that go off after a Celtics game. So I want to kind of, you know, thank the Celtics for kind of giving their version of the the Game Seven of the the Mavericks Suns uh, Western Conference Finals on Wednesday night with um, pushing up that lead to forty. They get they didn't get up to the forty six point lead. The Mavs had that game. They got close though. But That's just a moral uh, victory then. It's a, yeah, it was it was a nice it was a nice redux of like, oh, this is like how could a team possibly lose like this that supposedly has you know this much time? We I get that the Celtics remind us this is this is what can happen when everything is going right. And I think a, a big part of that too, in terms of you know, the offense is getting all the accla- the accolades right now, is the defense on this trip seems to really be, you know, not coming into complete form, but getting closer. And getting you know back to closer to where it was last year, and we know a, a big piece is looming of that in a week or two. But them, you know, adding the buy-in on that front, even when they don't need it, um, I think is uh, is puts them in like you said the the, the different uh, tier that they are on right now. I think there were too many uh, sort of indicators on the defensive side to expect that they would be bad that whole time, even if you didn't know that. Like you could just look at the talent on the team and be like, ah, well, the team is going to be better right. than this. And, and defensive wise, it was like they were. They went through this period where they were giving up um, a shot profile that's very favorable to the Celtics, and they were just their opponents were just hitting a lot of these shots, right? Like everybody, I think, knew they were leading the league and how many, like the highest percentage of their opponent's shots from from like long and regular mid range of anybody in the league. But then the teams were shooting better from that range than any you know than against against them than anybody else. And it was like those like Mitchell down, like, Garland like yeah, Levert exactly. games Levert, like this way, right? nuts. And those were for three. Those ones weren't even the games that were really killing them. It was just the sort of DeRozan-ish. Everybody, it seemed like everybody turned into DeRozan for, for three weeks against the Celtics and were just like drilling 20-foot jump shots against them all the time. And you're looking at being like, well, that's not going to sustain. And I don't really think that they're going to be the lowest turnover-forcing team in the league all season. Uh, that may make more of a difference when Rob comes back because he's such a, a you know, he forces so many turnovers from the center position where you don't normally get a ton of them. They're up to 26, but, by the way, in that front. Yeah, I mean, but you, you know what I mean? Like, even then, I don't, right. if they played the whole season even without Rob, I don't think they would be 26. Maybe they'd be yeah. 20th, but like they were 29th for a while. Or 30, they were 30th for a while. Um, And so there are some things in there that you were like, these things are going to get better. And there's a trade-off there. You look at the other way and say that they're not going to continue to score 120 points every, you know, per 100 possessions. And maybe that'll come down and it'll all balance out. But like, there were just too many things on the defensive side. You were like, that is not, if that sustains for the entire season to a certain extent, it's like bad luck. And it doesn't really worry you that much. And now that that's turned around and they're whatever, what did Grandy say over the last 10 games, they're fourth or something like. Um, yeah, he tweeted out last night, I think around that, like fourth in the NBA over that span. And that's with Rob out and three of those games without Al, right? And Marcus missed the game. Like they've, they haven't really had their, obviously they haven't had their entire roster at all this year, but they've been missing, you know, one, it seems like one guy is out every night. Uh and in some cases, it's been important defensive players and they're still still performing well. So all the indicators there are, are pointing up. And like you do get to a point where it's like, are they really going to be the number one offense and the number one defense like they were in the second half of last year? And like, probably not. Um, 
but they have the personnel to do it at this point and they have seemingly the system to do it we'll see what what the defense looks like when rob comes back and, and how that impacts like offensive spacing i know there's some people who are kind of not worried about that but are like well it'll come down because of rob and i'm like i don't rob's a pretty freaking incredible offensive <laughs> player himself um so it's yeah i mean in some ways you don't want to you can't do this until the season ends but you meant you know you said 2007 8 and this this team has a very different feeling than that team because of the sort of way that it's been built up over the years and the ups and downs and uh, how this is not a team that all came together in one offseason and Nimbutu and we'll take a preseason trip and everything will be amazing. It's It's been a different road to get here. But you look down and like by point differential, they're very similar to what they did when they destroyed everybody in, in 2008 by simple rating system, which like factors in strength of schedule. They're at the exact same place they were for that team. They're on pace to win the same number of games. Like they are a quarter of the way through the season like killing teams and looking very much like a, you know, like a top tier title contender, like we said. Let's hear from our sponsor, Line, which remains your number one source for all your sports betting for football and basketball this season. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Online. Your continued source for sports wagering info, Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any game or sport imaginable. Fastest and easiest way to bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf and these World Cup games. So head on over to betonline.ag to join. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And I, I feel comfortable even saying now, I mean, we all, the, the, they have a long way to go to match, obviously match what that team did. But from a talent standpoint, I think this team is more talented than that 08 team, like from a depth from like a top it's deeper. eight, nine, it's deeper. Yeah. It's, and you know, we'll see what that, if that matters or not, when the cards are on the table in the postseason. but uh, in terms of what they're, you know, the, the players are putting on the floor, cycling in and out guy, a guy like a Peyton Pritchard, that's not even getting on the floor. And unless someone's out uh, or in the backcourt in a thick night, and even, even finding a guy like Blake Griffin, finding the rejuvenation machine playing once every two weeks, which is, to be honest, just like a, a very like savvy move by Joe Mazzula just to be like, okay, like Blake probably shouldn't be playing over Luke in the rotation. But if we, but, but let's start him every like week or two just to, you know, make him feel good and get him those minutes. And lo and behold, I think it's that. Well, I think it's the same thing they're doing with like with Brogdon where they've said to these guys, like, you're going to be part of our, our bench rotation every single night. And we're not going to disrupt that. So they just jump somebody else over him so that they can stay in the same role, the same time. Oh yeah. That's, well, that's what else. I meant too. Like, yeah. yeah, like you don't, you, but, but I think for that. Yeah. And I guess that's true. It's like the same thing. It's like, you're, you're, we're putting him in. So we don't want to have to rejigger other parts of the, the bench rotation, in the process, but, um, but regardless, that's, it's still a situation where they're clearly getting more out of Blake Griffin than they probably ever dreamed they would. Um, he's PJ Browning, except he's not even, he didn't have to wait halfway through the season to get him. No. And I mean, it's it's interesting to compare it to that team because, like, with the way that Jason and Jalen are playing, you could say that they're at the same level as as KG and Pierce. Like, I thought KG easily could have been the MVP that year. We'll see with with Tatum. Um, it's hard to compare Pierce and and Jalen, but like with how well Jalen is playing to this point, they're not that different. It's really the question of like Ray Allen and Ray John Rondo are really good. <laughs> um, yeah. And do you have a three and a four who are as good at that team? But like, I think without question, once you get into like James Posey and Eddie House and like that next level even perkins right like they're they're just better at those spots um uh, which is 
we'll see how it holds up in playoffs, right? We went into the finals last year thinking like, oh, we're the deeper team. And then it was like guys with experience, like, uh, you know, Otto Porter or specialists like Gary Payton sort of, it turned out like, oh no, in, in that particular setting, it, it didn't hold up that way. And the guys that the Celtics had held up very, very well in the playoffs and in, in big moments when they, when they needed them. So you can't ever judge these things ahead of time. But the fact that we're talking about this team in the same context of like, look, their start isn't all that dissimilar to the 2008-9 Celtics. You know, they're not 29-2, and two, but like they have five losses and three are in overtime. Uh, they're, all their numbers look like the 2007-8. Like they, obviously last year they went to the final, so it's not a surprise that they're a very good team. But like I said, I if you had asked me at Christmas, like what's their record going to be? I, you know, I would have been like, I don't know, probably like five or six games over 500. Like that would be pretty fine. And then they would get... Yeah get robbed back and they'll go on a run in the second half of the year and they're going to win 50, 52, 55 games or something, but then they'll be there for the playoffs and, and they'll be ready to make a run at that point. And just like, right. They just came out and like, they literally, they took like a week where they were figured some stuff out and then they were like, Oh no, we got this. We we're just going to score 120 points every night, 130 points every night and just blow the doors off teams. And like, it doesn't seem to be slowing down considering what's happened on this road trip. Um, uh, and at some point they'll lose two in a row. Like <laughs> it's going to feel really weird when that happens. Um, but like you said, it's almost hard to see them even losing like three games in a row right now, which is something that you say about only like the best teams, teams that win 65 games where you don't, where it just doesn't even feel conceivable that they could lose three in a row without something weird happening, like injuries or illness or something like that. It is. And I will give Joe Mazzula credit and just to go back to your, like the defense and you saying like, Oh, you know, the, the metrics, the the shot profiles, it always looked pretty good, even though teams were overachieving against them early on that on that side of the floor. And he he kind of stood his ground on that. And pressures earlier when everyone's like, "Oh, like what do you got to do to turn defense around?" He's like, "I'm not worried at all." And he was, I mean, he and he's very matter of fact about pretty much how he talks about anything, uh, which is you know refreshing up at points. But he stuck to his guns there. Like, listen, like we we're getting them teams to take the shots they want to shoot, and we're gonna live with that. And I like our effort, et cetera, et cetera. And so he saw through the noise of just the, the you know, the extreme splits in the shooting size and in the, in the shooting uh, by teams early on the year. And now they're already up to 11th in defense. That number, it looks like it's going to, you know, is trending up even further on this road trip against some pretty lead, you know, offenses on paper in Brooklyn. I think it's ninth. Yeah, so it's 11 garbage time because they gave yep. up 20 points in garbage yeah. time. You know, they minus 20 in garbage point. Yeah. I think they're up to their ninth or tenth. How much? I gotta look up, up cleaning um, glass. How much garbage time minutes have they played this year? Because that's that's probably gonna be like well, yesterday they played 15. Of they count that 15. <laughs> I feel like that was legitimately 24 yeah. to 30 minutes of garbage time. I, I, often, they might have to change how they. I that. think they're ninth or tenth by that by that measure, which obviously who knows, right? Like some right. of these things are subjective about, or there's a formula there, but somebody has to put in some numbers to say what's going to be garbage time and, and all that. But yeah. um, the point being, they're around tenth now, and right. I think what you're describing is something that you a lot of coaches have this, but it was sort of a hallmark of Brad Stevens as well, which is right that the highs are never quite as high as they look, and the lows are never quite as low. So is the offense going to, you know, if you ask him about the offense, he's not going to be like we're the greatest offense ever, and if you ask him about the defense, he's not going to be like we suck on defense. It's there's always going to be some amount of like, no, we're going to be fine. Like we're talented, we're executing, we're going to be fine. Um, and I, I don't think that's a coincidence that coming out from, you know, the Brad Stevens coaching tree, whatever you want to call it, that, um, that he takes that, that same approach to things. He's obviously very even keel, like almost disconcertingly. So <laughs> at, at times, 
uh, where you're like, you're allowed to be excited or angry or something, right? Like, that's okay. Um, and I'm sure he is in some cases, and he just doesn't show it all that much. But uh, yeah, like I said, I, I just never was worried about the the defense in in reality like they were too good last year they have too much talent there were too many weird things happening that to, to be like freaked out about it uh and and you give it some time and and it regresses um and will the the offense regress towards the mean as well um you keep waiting for it too but then every night every open three goes in and they get a lot of open threes and i, I don't know <laughs> just keep doing that and it'll, everything will work its way out all right Last time we did a show, I think it was probably three weeks ago, we had a Sam Hauser power hour. I want to have an abbreviated version of that right now with who is stinging out to you on the bench the most right now in this recent span. Um, there are a whole list of people you can pick from. Uh, honestly, Sam Hauser might be the the one guy on the list that's like... We jinxed the hell out of him. We jinxed, exactly. We, you know, he's down to 45% shooting from three. Like a real slump, um, which is he's playing perfectly fine. It's just not he's not like putting up five threes a night anymore. And that's and that is uh, was is jarring after the way he started the year. So I, I'm I'm ruling him out. He, you can't pick Sam Azar because he's he's only playing just his ordinary self as opposed to extraordinary. But so who else do you have uh, off the bench in the in the power hour here? Is Derek White off the bench? I mean, you. Yeah. You did yeah. With, no. Uh, with. Uh, with Forsberg and I talked to you afterwards and was saying, you know, you guys were going through like who would be their third all-star. And I was saying, I, I, he wouldn't actually be their third all-star because of the way these things work. But I think Derek White's probably been the third best player, but I, I guess he's been starting as many games as he, as he comes off the bench. I don't know if that will continue, but um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the Blake Griffin show lately just because of the, the interesting way that they've used him. Like we, we talked about and how everybody seems to love him and the dunks and, and all that. But is like there's nobody you could pick anybody pretty much i mean pretty much kevin gailey and jd davidson haven't played much and vonley hasn't played much and or justin, justin jackson, jackson. But, like, but like everybody who's stepped on the court has has done their job that's how you get to be 21 and 5 and in the, the top tier i suppose but um why is there somebody who, who you were hoping i would pick and that stands out to you, no. you i mean i mean been... i'm i guess i'm kind of stuck at I'm not stunned at what Brogdon is doing. I, I guess I'm a little stunned that he's shooting 49% from three, um, given the... That it's 49%. Know, that it's 49% three. from three. I mean, that is just... He's taking a few, a little bit less. I mean, he's playing less, so he's not taking as much as he has in the last couple of seasons in Indiana. And the form, like when he misses sometimes, especially in the preseason, that like it kind of looked like it was a mess at times with some of those attempts. But he's just someone now where... It doesn't matter like once every two or three games, he's just going to take over eight to 10 minutes. It feels like um, penetrating, get, you know, taking advantage of guys that really aren't able to guard him because they have their, you know, re- you know, top guys tied up elsewhere. And that is when people think like, oh, this is the, the, the offense is going to come back down to earth. But it's like, well, I don't know, because you if. It's like it's not like other teams' benches are going to have guys that can defend Brogdon. Like these guys aren't going to come out of the woodwork midway through the season. And and as long as everyone stays healthy here, you're just going to like the efficient shots that guys like him create. Um, you know, whenever Jalen or Jason are you know getting a, a breather, like those those aren't really going away. And I guess I it, it's easy to kind of lose him through the cracks, but like it's 
it's pretty jarring just how dominant he is offensively on the floor when he's out there. Yeah, I don't. So he doesn't surprise me that he's playing as well as he has. I don't think. I mean, this is a guy who scored twenty one and nineteen right in his last in a couple couple well, years. He was always a nightmare matchup for the Celtics too. I feel like he was like, yeah, he, it's he just you know he knows how to he know if he could do that as the focal point or one of the two focal points of an offense as a starter, it's not a surprise that like put into a role of hey go out there and get buckets against um, against benches that that he's able to do that at a high level. The forty nine percent three point shooting, that's certainly something that we'll see if, I mean, if that holds amazing, but um, he's been great there. I also think that he, I think he was pretty bad on defense to start the year, particularly on ball defense. And that's really stabilized as well, which I think has helped quite a bit mm-hmm. in, in getting that defensive rating up because without Rob there, they have times where he's on the floor and they don't, especially if it's a matchup where they weren't playing Luke or something like that. Like they may not have a traditional rim protector behind them, stuff like that, where like there were some times where he would get, get beat at the point of attack. And it was, compromising the, the defense in a way that wasn't just like, oh, they're missing uh, mid-range. But that's sort of cleaned up really well as well. Like, I think that was maybe through like the first 10 games. And since then, he's been fine. Um, so both sides, he's he's giving you exactly what you would be looking for, right? Um, so, like I said, I mean, he's not going to continue to make half of his weird little set shots from, from three. But he is a guy who's, I think he had a 50-40-90 season his last year in Milwaukee in a in a smaller role as well, right? Something like that. Uh, like he's he can shoot. He can. He's always been able to really shoot. Uh, and I do think it's been smart to keep him in that bench role as much as they they possibly can and move other guys around, just to establish that you end up in this thing where it's like you always have two of Jalen, Jason, or Malcolm on, and like you're just always going to be able to score if that's the case, unless one of them is is out, obviously. But like when those three guys are just pretty much all the time, like yeah, we've got we got two of the three on, and then either really good shooters or another everybody else like we've said is has done a nice role a lot of space out there for them to work um he's 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 getting that that work done i guess if we were going to talk about other guys on the bench who we would highlight recently like cornet's been been quite how how are they going to keep minutes for him how are they going to they won't minutes for him (laughs) well they'll keep rob (laughs) rob's minutes down and and he didn't play against brooklyn because it was like a terrible matchup for him and they tried to put him in and have to pull him out after two minutes whatever like that happens sometimes uh but he's just been really efficient uh, I think he works well. There have been for anybody who watch who looks at Rob and thinks like, "Oh, is this going to mess up their spacing? Is this going to do whatever problem?" Like, <laughs> there have been a couple of games, like the Miami games, where I think you really felt his absence, particularly because they have Bam, and that like you would have a much better matchup for that. Um, but there's also sometimes where you just watch what like Cornette's doing. And you're like, now imagine that that was Rob Williams, like the little touch passes that he's caught a couple times on the short roll out to the corner for a three. Like that's like Rob's a better passer than than Cornette. Although Cornette, I think Cornette's been actually pretty pretty decent as a passer in small moments. Um, as a finisher, you know he's shooting whatever he's made like twenty of his last twenty five shots, and like that's what Rob does all the time. Like I just look at that and be like, you can take him out and put a better player in there, and like it's gonna it's gonna be great. But also you do have to give him you know give give Luke credit. You don't want to just throw him aside. Like he's been really good too recently. Yeah, it's it's funny when you look at what his career has been. I feel like early on he kind of made no not made his mark, but like got minutes being the the stretch five with the Knicks or the Bulls for a season or when they got a, like a an early contract with them. But the Celtics are saying, hey, quite successfully being like, you know what now? You you are gonna be the screener and offensive rebounder. Like only take amazing shots, which he's happy to do. 
um, since he's a very, I think, selfless player um, and almost looks to pass too much at times, given his stature. And then I think he's clearly progressed a lot defensively in the last few years, whether, you know, just up in Maine or getting, you know, at the end of last season, clearly building a nice comfort level in terms of what the team needs him to do on that front. And now it's a situation where it, it, it they're going to be able to, like you said, they'll like Alan Rob, I imagine neither of those guys are going to play back to backs for the rest of the year period. So he'll get chances there and they'll be chances. I don't know. Like, I mean, I threw this round of fours, but I like, do you, do you consider bringing Rob off the bench to start? Like when he comes back just to like manage his minutes and then work, you know, are you set on going back to the Rob Al starting lineup front court, no matter what, or are you, to say okay let's see how it looks like and then kind of figure that out later i mean for all the teams been great this year the minutes that they played with that starting five last year were so outrageously dominant right that it's hard to think that they won't end up back there if they bring him back off the bench because he's on a 15 minute you know minutes limit then that's that's different i do think that ultimately they are going to try to get back to rob as a starter and then we'll see like if it doesn't work for some reason then you can pivot from there but like we have a track record now from last year that's just like rob on the floor best team in the league like by a million miles like they would have won the title last year in my opinion if he was healthy like it's just um he's such a a game changer with everything that he does like and people anybody listening to this podcast knows that already so i'm not saying anything new here but um, i think that that is where they would ultimately be going now i think there's a question about next year whether or not al comes off the bench right that's honestly i would i would honestly think now like if 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 rob gets back it more being like if rob al together isn't doesn't look the same as last year this year then i would i would think that al was the guy to, to go to the bench before rob assuming that rob is yeah. fully healthy there's a lot of stuff that goes into that about personalities and about you know all that oh yeah then you, know, they, they, they um, won't, you, you won't mess with that this year with, and i think he's been forward. asked that al's even been asked that in the preseason even where he was like you know do you see yourself cutting back minutes and going off the bench he was like i see myself as a starter or something like that which of yep. course he does right. um but he just signed an extension for $10 million here. Like he knows right. where his where his career is going at this point. So yeah, in the long term, I think everybody understands that things just make a lot more sense if it's like a front court of Grant and Rob, or you play two, you know, smart and and white and the Jays and Rob or whatever it might be. And then it makes some amount more sense for Al to come off the bench and limit his minutes. Um but there's a lot of stuff. And this is, I think, a conversation that we've had in the, you know last year, the year before that, probably, where it's some of starting is politics, closing is performance, right? Like, sometimes you start guys just, but you take them out four minutes in, and then they sort of work a bench rotation after that. And it's like, it's just there because you get, it's paying respect to a a veteran player, that kind of thing. Um, But I, like I said, I think ultimately you have to look at that being a, whatever they were, plus 22 last year per 100 possessions and be like, oh, we need to at least give that a fair chance to like show that it's still what it was. Um, because if it is, then you take the team where they are now and then it's like, oh, well, they're going to win 70 games. I mean, the 68 games, like it's just, it gets a little bit outrageous to how, like, if you took that same performance improvement that we've seen Rob provide in the past and added on to where they already are, it's almost impossible to like do that. So there's going to be some amount of a trade-off here that has to happen. Um because otherwise the math of it just doesn't work out. We're like, so we're going to be a plus 14 per hundred, but like, it's just never going to happen. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it all goes. But yeah, I think that that, right. That has to be the goal is to give them a chance to, to be the starters again. Yeah. And there'll be plenty of time on the calendar to, to get 
to that point when you know Rob Williams is building up his stand on the, the, the weeks to come here and it looks like he'll be back I assume probably on the homestand uh after this west coast trip let's wrap quickly we haven't talked since the Horford extension uh that came down at the end of last week two years essentially mid-level money um trade kicker involved but is I think this is a classic win-win situation where Al gets gave probably a little bit of a discount based on performance and and he gets the extra security of a the bonus here there but I think that the situation where both sides need each or needed each other more than anyone else um given that Horford's motivations right now are just winning a title and it just makes life I think that much simpler for Brad Stevens in terms of team building um not just to the trade deadline but obviously next summer yeah. Yeah. I mean, Al has started to show his age some amount this year, but like he would have to be how much worse of a player than he is right now to not be worth $10 million next year right. when you have 10% cap growth. And, you know, it's just like, it's such an obviously good deal for the team. And like with everybody else, he could get injured, something like whatever, you know, you throw those things out the window um, anywhere close to the level of performance that he has provided this year. And it's a great deal for the team. Uh, thank you once again, Philadelphia 76ers for showing him that, <laughs> You know, the grass isn't always greener. Um, that lesson probably saved the Celtics some amount of money that they're able to now dedicate to re-signing Grant Williams, assuming that they, they'll get to a point where they want to do that. And you look at the math, and it just sort of like falls into place at this point, where you look at everybody they have, because Brad, as we've been saying for since he took over, like he very clearly values contract length and continuity, and he wants these players to be together, and he wants to... So he signs player. He trades for players who have a lot of years left. He signs players to extensions, um, and they have this level of continuity that allows them to sort of map out next year and be like, "There's a salary slot right here that's like 13 million, 15, maybe 15 million dollars that fits right in, and you're right back at the budget you're at this year." And assuming that they're going to go deep in the playoffs again this year, you assume that their budget will be similar to next year in terms of like how many millions of dollars over the luxury tax, and like it's it's an easy spreadsheet, right? At this point, you have most of the guys who are already coming back and are already signed. And it's like, okay, draft pick goes here. Or second round pick goes here, whatever. We'll fill in this last roster spot. And it's like, you know, Grant gets four years, $60 million, right? Like uh, $65 million or something. Right. And, and who else, who out there is going to offer him more than that in restricted free agency. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really locks in that, that it's like Al on a good deal, solidifies that position, sets you up down the line where maybe he becomes your, your bench center, um, you can work out what you're going to do with with Grant going forward and, and also maybe Hauser down the line, depending on where you think he's going to be in your rotation. Like a lot of the pieces just sort of lock into place when you when you have a guy that signs an extension halfway through the year for a very team-friendly number. It really is. And to your point on Grant, for you know, he's having probably as good of a season as he could have hoped right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think but, people but, but, go but with that's, I mean, yeah, but with that said, I don't think it's going to have any major yeah. impact on what he's gonna get because <laughs> it's like I'm not saying people are going crazy with him in that I think that they're saying he's performing better than he is. I think he's played very, very well. I don't think it makes a whole lot exactly it doesn't like, this is a restricted it doesn't make a whole lot of a difference. It's this restricted, is restricted free agency. He's six yeah. five, six six. He scores in single digit points. He mostly comes off the bench like there's just zero track record. Like unless he goes out and has an absolutely incredible playoffs. And I'm not just saying like defends Kevin Garnett well or or no, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Durant or, or Giannis well again like really shows out in the playoffs over multiple games. There's just absolutely zero track record of teams giving big restricted free agent offers to players like him. 
So you're talking about a little bit over the mid-level. Right. And that fits exactly into the salary slot now. So that's where I think they end up, which is great. Great. Right. They're the best team in the league right now. Bringing everybody back. Everybody's in their prime other than Al or, or, you know, growing into their prime now. Like, perfect. Great strategy. And the Celtics will maybe feel better about giving him a little bit more than they would have this offseason if he has that kind of performance. But to your point, the it's just not uh, – it's of such a rarity to find teams that give that kind of money out to guys like him who are – not system players, but clearly are in the perfect situation to excel here uh, with the supporting cast around him. So every time, Celtics... he makes, every time he makes three threes in a row, Twitter explodes with people like, oh, they cost themselves so much money. I <laughs> like, can't no, believe they, they didn't. didn't. I'm like, they didn't. I think you're no. see, they just didn't. It's not going to work. Out. Like sucks for him, but it's not going to work out that way. This is not how restricted free agency work, but it, um, it is. And I mean, if anything, it just gives the Celtics a little more leverage in those negotiations, even though they can't afford to lose him uh, regardless anyway but I don't think they'll have to worry anymore in terms of for the reasons we just described, but all right, that would put a bonus. What uh, we'll give a final prediction here. What, how do they finish this trip? Uh, five and one. Five and one. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to go six and zero, oh, but I, I can't, I can't. I'm tempted three to go four nights. 77 and five. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Uh, all right. Follow Ryan at DangerCart on Twitter. Thanks as always for coming on, Ryan. Um, rate, review, subscribe to Wing Plays Pod. We'll have got a big, big finals rematch against a, a Warriors team that will be pretty desperate for a win after that debacle in the Utah on a Wednesday night, on Saturday night. So we'll have reaction to that and much more coming up next week. Um, so stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening as always, guys.